enjoy this episode of Tales from the Potting Bench, then why not rate, subscribe and review or share with a friend. Welcome to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the most interesting and different people from the world of both indoor and outdoor gardening. In this episode, I caught up with the king of the Alstroemeria and die-hard British-grown flower campaigner, Ben Cross. We talk all about Alstroemeria, the lengths that his family nursery go to to grow sustainably, and what we can all do to support the British Flowers Rock campaign. everyone uh, welcome to episode six of tales from the potting bench hopefully all of you that are here or that are joining know who i've got coming on um you should have seen it in my hopefully in my stories and um in posts in the week but we've got the brilliant um Alstromirio ben so if you don't follow ben already i'm going to get him on and i am not going to explain what he does I think Ben can do that. Hopefully Ben will be joining me in a second. Hey! Aloha, you are right. Hello. You were re- ready to rock as soon as I was, as soon as I was on. Oh yeah, always good, yeah. always good. How are you? You had fun at um, Malvern show, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did. I think um, there's been enough Malvern spam from me today, <laughs> hasn't there? <laughs> lots and lots of stuff. Yeah, it's just been amazing to go to a proper show. You know, um, after such a long break because of COVID, it's just been amazing. So I've just taken pictures of absolutely everything. I just couldn't resist. Yeah, no, it's good to it's good to get back. I, I went to um, Hampton Court and Chelsea this year, yeah. and it's just good to be back doing like the live British Flower Rock talks at garden shows and yeah, uh, flower clubs, horticultural clubs, all that stuff. So uh, yeah, it it's is, uh, it? yeah, good. <laughs> it is. It's just so nice to be out there just with other gardeners and uh, I don't know it was just amazing today and I think the weather was great and everything and it was just kind of the perfect mix of of all sorts so yeah it's been a it's been a good day a little bit of sunburn someone's asking where my t-shirt is (laughs) in the wash I've got a lot of talks next week so uh, oh you've got to get them ready you've not only got the one surely there must be more than one yeah just one homemade homemade since 2014 oh man you're gonna need another one. What if there was a, a terrible ketchup accident or something? And uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need, uh, it's like I the need bat them. suit, you know. I need like a yeah. British Flowers Rock Cave where they're all just lined up, <laughs> ready to rock and roll. You know? Yeah. The next step is a British Flowers Rock car and a motorbike and yeah. everything. That looks like your style. I'd do that. Yeah. Cool. So thank you for everyone that's um, everyone that's joining. There's lots of people coming on tonight. Looks like it's going to be a, a packed house. So. Anyone that hasn't um, heard of Ben before, um, where have you been uh, for a start? Because um, what Ben has been doing um, has been incredible. I'm, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go over that. I'm going to let you speak um, for yourself and explain everything that's going on because I think you'll do a much much better job than me. So, before going on about the plant itself, do you want to start with a bit of a kind of history of the of the nursery because it kind of had a unique beginning, didn't it? Yeah, so um, we started uh, going and growing since 1936. Uh, I'm fourth generation uh, with my great grandparents starting out on the Land Settlement Association. So back in the 1930s here in Britain, in the UK, uh, we had the Great Depression. So high unemployment, a lot of uh, shipbuilders, a lot of miners out of work. 
Uh, so the government back then set up over 20 areas around the UK where unemployed families would go and work and farm the land. And my uh, great grandparents were originals, one of the original families to take the government up on this scheme. And um, they started down here in Chai, Chichester, uh, near me. That was the largest one of these uh, colonies, these growing colonies. And there was about 140, 150 market gardens set up just down here near Chichester. And um, there's about three or four acres each. And each family would have a menagerie of animals and growing salad crops and things. And then it obviously came into its own during World War II when we had the land girls and all of that. And uh, then my granddad joined my great-grandparents after World War II. Uh, he met my nan, who was a Pompey girl, you know, from Portsmouth, just down the road. Had my dad, uncles and aunties on the settlement, on the LSA, the land settlement. Right. We moved here, uh, where I am today, in 57. So we've been going and growing since 1936. And we've been based here at Crosslands Nursery uh, since 57, where I live today taking over from my aunties, uncles, mum and dad and all that jazz. So, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to sort of really look into the Land Settlement Association, uh, it's now a national lottery funded sort of scheme. And some of you may have heard of the repair shop uh, on TV. That's filmed just 10 minutes down the road at the Wild and Down the Museum. And there's oh, a whole um, physical exhibition about the LSA, because at the moment there's a house that was on the LSA in storage. Uh, at the Wild and Down. So, yeah, you can Google it, um, Land Settlement Association, Siddlesham, and uh, you've got history of the families and our families, one of the very few that are still in farming and horticulture and stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah, where my roots began, really. Um, yeah. So, in terms of the Land Settlement Association, then, is there, um, did you say that you, your family are one of the only ones that are kind of still going from that time? Yeah, so unfortunately, Margaret Thatcher got rid of the LSA because she wanted everyone on phones and laptops and all that <laughs> horrible stuff. So, uh, yeah, she got rid of it, unfortunately, in the 80s. Um, and that's when funding for people like me stopped. So I am a member of the National Farmers Union, but we don't get any funding at all. Unlike all other sectors of farming, uh, flower growers get zero uh, funding. Um, so our government sends other money across other parts of the world to fund other flower farms, but they don't help us. So um, there's no fair trade for UK, which sucks. So that's what, you know, I'm just yeah. trying to change because uh, if we're to reduce our climate, you know, reduce our carbon footprint and all that, if we can grow something of quality in our own country, then we should be supported. And um, if we want to do it, do it. So, but yeah, so the LSA Land Settlement Association, really important in getting people, you know, back into employment and basically feeding the nation. So we've just near me had Goodwood, Goodwood Revival. Yeah. The theme this year was Dig for Britain. It was all about that time where, um, you know, we didn't rely on green beans from Kenya and flowers from Ecuador and all that. You know, what we yeah. ate within our country is what we is what we grew and we were very sustainable and we survived. So it proves that we can do it. So, yeah, I think the theme uh, for Goodwood was sort of on point this year. But, yeah, if um, anyone wants to research the LSA, it's all getting out there, you know. Yeah. So what what is it about the uh, you said there's no funding for for flower growers do you, do you know why why that is because it seems odd doesn't it really uh well yeah it's it's pretty rubbish so for example yeah. um we used to get funding uh for heating in the winter uh we also used to get grants for modernizing our greenhouses uh we right. used to get grants basically inside 
on just on the inside of the glass, you can get these screens. They look like foil screens. They can come halfway over in the summer to act as shading and they come all the way over in the winter to box in the crop and to retain the heat from, from the heating. And we used to get funding for little things like that, but it all added up and mm. it really helped us. And obviously uh, we had uh, dedicated transport and just everything was a lot smoother and a lot better. And um, yeah, now um, it's all just fair trade is for other countries. There's no fair trade UK or fair trade local. You know, I know there's a few people listening in from Germany and France and loads of other places. So mm. uh, if we're if we're to do local, then we need to do it right, you know, because um, we don't say so we don't get any funding like the British Files Rock thing. That's all off my own back. You know, yeah. no, there's nothing on TV. There's no proper campaign. Um, no, that's bizarre, isn't it? And I think, well, you um so it's it's that but it's the Alstromeria in particular is, is that what they is that what you've grown on site for this whole time uh so basically when we were part of the lsa down um when we were part of the lsa yeah. all the market gardens there was no european thing you know you just grew what you could and if it was yeah. any government the government sold your produce through the LSA, through the land settlement, a bit like a, a marketing tool. So they go uh, to my granddad and great grandparents, Mr. Cross, I've got you uh, that much for your eggs, that much for your um, freezers, that much for your croissants, that much for your cucumbers. Here's your percentage. And people getting on well with it were like, why are we doing this? Why can't we set up on our own? So it was almost seen as a bit of like a, a kickstarter. The government wanted you to get on well with it and then set up on your own and that's what my granddad did so my great-grandparents started on the LSA and then my granddad bought a bit of land where I am today and actually um, it was part of a bigger nursery where on this bit of land they grew Christmas trees so <laughs> the uh, product we sold off of our land were Christmas trees that we had to take down and make way for back then uh, wooden greenhouses um, then we had the big storm of 1987 that blew away all those wooden greenhouses and the ones we've got at the moment built in 88. Um, but yeah, when you're part of the LSA, you grew lots of different things. But then the birth of the supermarkets in the 60s, 70s, uh, you know, you guys, us guys, the public got used to having pomegranates, bananas, coconuts, so cheap all year round. Things way out of season, blueberries, strawberries for Christmas. Um, at cheap prices and no longer could growers grow lots of different things and make a living. Mm. So it's time to specialise and Grandad chose the British Ulstromere because it's very sustainable to grow in the UK. Why try and force something to grow in the UK that you're going to you know, have loads of input, loads of carbon footprints. So Ulstromere is very sustainable uh, for lots of reasons. So it's a cool crop. So by a cool crop, we mean it looks really cool in your arrangements, bouquets and vases, but by a cool crop it only needs about 13 degrees heat right. at night, winter's night and we're based between the south downs national park and the beach the ocean so it's pretty warm here even in the winter so um, that was seen as a good thing and it's also known as a dry crop so we only water for 20 minutes once a month in the winter so we only do about three or four waterings Whoa. and that ramps up to about 20 minutes once every 10 days in the summer so it doesn't mm. use a lot of heat and when we do use heat now it's locally sourced wooden pellets from goodwood slindon estates it's a dry crop doesn't take a lot of water and a lot of our beds our plants are over 20 30 years old so we're not replanting um everything all at once so um you know loads of sustainability factors with all air grown in the uk and then slowly but surely the whole nursery came over to all and um, that happened sort of in the 60s and 70s. So 
because it was seen as a good alternative crop because you had a smorgasbord, a plethora of different colours that you could supply the supermarkets, wholesalers, hence the public, all year round with loads of different varieties and colours, uh, obviously when the wholesalers and supermarkets um, wanted to buy British. So that's how it sort of came about, really. Yeah. So do you um, do you supply to trade as well, or is it or is it just individ- uh, is it just to to public? Or? Uh, so we used to supply um, just supermarkets and wholesalers. Um, you know, when uh, my granddad and the early days of my dad, and we supplied all the supermarkets you can think of, and one by one for even naught point naught naught one yen dollar cent or whatever. If it's cheaper over there, they'll go to another country. So one by one. Uh, they all left us. Uh, the last supermarket we were supplying uh, was dear old Sainsbury's. I got a horrible phone call from a horrible lady, Valentine's Day 2020. And she said, Ben, we don't want your flowers anymore because we can get them 4p cheaper a bunch from um, Columbia. Um, after that happened, uh, Morrison's have come in. So we do supply Morrison's um, and we used to supply uh, Covent Garden, Spitalfields, Western. We used to send up to Birmingham, Leicester, all mm. the Midland markets. Uh, and Grandad used to get one ninety-five a bunch in the sixties and seventies. Now, if I send a bunch to Covent Garden, they give me fifty p. You know, so we don't send to the market anymore. We send uh, to Brighton Market because that's only twenty minutes away. And through the education, the awareness of buying British and all that. Um, we've gone from sending five boxes to nearly 30 boxes a week. So it proves that give the public a bit of awareness, a bit of education, fighting people, and then they, they come round to it. But yeah, we don't supply even Covent Garden, which is only an hour north of me anymore, because they just buy in the cheap stuff. And, you know, they're just salesmen at the end of the day, you know, if they can buy yeah. cheap. Um, so uh, I... so when I came back in 2011, so I did marine biology from 2000 to 2011. When I came back in 2011, uh, we said, right, we'll supply the public, farm shops, just anyone that cares about the planet, because we've only got one, so we need to look after it. <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah, we just diversified. So we sell direct to the public. So if anyone wants um, four bunches for 20 quid delivered to your door, <laughs> you can just DM me, you know, a little plug for my flowers. So you awesome. can message um, And yeah, so we supply public florists, cafes and restaurants that have a locally sourced food menu well where's those flowers that have come from that are on, mm-hmm. on your table when you're tucking down to your your food so yeah we just supply anyone that cares about traceability and and yeah. stuff like that it's pretty staggering and i think the comments are kind of speaking for themselves as well there's tons of people saying how incredible it is that uh, about the sustainability but also how Shocking it is in terms of uh, just the cost and just just everything. It's tough to know where to start really because there's so many there's so many questions really about how um, how how it's kind of got like this. It's it's pretty staggering. But I think the flower itself. Um, so I when I first put a story up um, to say that you were coming on, I, I had a, a fair few messages saying that I'd not, they'd not heard of an Australia, and I think I wasn't necessarily surprised by that. Because it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a tulip or it's not a, a flower that kind of gets talked about every day. It's a bog standard kind of flower. You've got roses, yeah. there, sweet William, gladiolus. You know, it's a supermarket gas station. It's, yeah. it's, it's in most bouquets. And unfortunately, um, all the Ulstromera that you guys see, that's five weeks old. It's been picked too, harvested too tight, been, been stored with loads of chemicals and they kind of go blur. It's like, 
you know, doused in chemicals to keep it looking fresh. It's like roses. Most roses don't have any scent, stay tight in bud, go brown and die. Big, yeah. They like big brown bananas and never open up properly. It's because these flowers have been on a journey. It's a bit like Han Solo in Jabba's Palace, sort of cryogenically <laughs> frozen in time on the shipping container or whatever for five weeks, you know. And even the inside of the packaging is lined with chemicals to stop the buds opening in transit. And then obviously you've got your millions and millions of plastic flower food sachets with loads of gunk, junk and stuff inside the sachet. <laughs> That you don't even need with my bad boys they're nice and fresh um you don't need any flower food any extra plastic packaging any of that they'll last for two or three weeks so um yeah i mean we're one of the last growers left in the country doing a cut flower in a full color range all year round which is it used to happen like 30 40 years ago there was hundreds of acres of just Australia grown in the uk now there's not many flowers at all grown in the uk so you know it's um that's staggering the, yeah. the, the year-round colour thing is really, really interesting as well, because I just think that that's not, that's such a unique selling point, isn't it, that you're able to do that year-round. Is there are, there, are there any that you can't kind of supply necessarily in winter, or are you able to do that full, full colour range all year? Yes, yeah, so we've got a full colour range available all year round, but obviously spring and autumn, so now we're harvesting tens of thousands of stems a week. Because uh, Ulstromeria, it's a cool crop. So in the winter, uh, production's less because obviously the poor light levels. So another sustainability thing we do here is we grow very naturally. Apart from putting in a little bit of heat in the winter, we don't have any LED sodium or artificial light. Yeah. A, a good thing because we don't cause any light pollution. If you go to Kent and the tomato nurseries, you're gonna, you can't get to bed because all the tomato nurseries are all lit up, you know, all the greenhouses. So we don't have any artificial lighting. So production tails off in the winter. And in the summer, the soil temperatures are about 30 odd degrees. The air temperature is about 40 odd degrees. I'm just in the greenhouse in board shorts and the roots want to do what we all want to do in the summer, chill out. And they go into a period of dormancy. So um, yeah. we basically harvest more than they can reproduce. But in spring and autumn, that's naturally when they're in the pump and we're doing tens of thousands of stems a week in, in those periods. Yeah. Yeah, sure. There was a question a little bit earlier. I'm trying to find it, but I can't find it annoyingly, but it was about growing, um, growing them yourselves. Now, obviously we don't want to take away um, any of your business, obviously, but in terms of growing them yourselves, how, how easy are they to, to grow yourself? Yeah. So they don't like sand and they don't like clay. Nothing likes clay apart from Rafa Nadal generally, although Djokovic won this year but hey well, <laughs> but um, if you're on sand or clay um Ulstromer, you can grow in raised beds no you know the no dig method all of that a nice medium compost nice medium soil if you've got nice medium loam silty soil they're just going to go rampant and if you don't like right. the uh wildest wild running look uh, the best way to grow them is in pots so if you grow okay. them in pots um you can have them as a house plant in the winter to keep them out the frost and if you've got a greenhouse or a conservatory Ulstromeria are classed as a protected ornamental so um, you want to keep it you know in a conservatory in a greenhouse bring it out obviously when there's not a northeasterly or a southwesterly and if you don't have anywhere to put it in yeah don't put it in a prevailing wind so uh, and that way you'll get a bit more height but a lot of the garden varieties uh, tend to dwarf ones so the prettier coloured tends to be the bushier small ones and then things like indian summer which is a lovely copper foliaged bronzed um mm -hmm. orange fiery red one that's beautiful i saw that at, at chelsea loads and hampton court uh, that that grows in worthing and brighten out of people's concrete and their front really? you know? but indian oh, wow. summer's a good a good strong one okay and rock and roll is a variegated leaf 
um, which is a red one, and that, that gets quite tall as well. So if you grow them in pots, just put a, a cane or a stake in and just support it. So, um, but yeah, generally very, very easy to, uh, to grow. Okay. That rock and roll sounds like one that you've, um, that you've created yourself. I know, I know. <laughs> it's variegated leaf one, so it's with a fiery red um, it's good. flower. Basically, the, the taller ones, um, because red and orange, it's the easiest DNA to get into the, the flower bud. They tend to be the taller ones, and then the prettier lilacs and purples garden varieties tend to be the, the short right, ones. Okay. All, all of our varieties are commercial, so you know it's over £1,500 to replant one of our beds, and then every year those plants are in our soil, we also have to pay a license, a bit like road tax or TV license. We every year they're in our soil. We also have to pay a license. So very specialist, very expensive, and um, not to be taken for granted. It's just all Stromere. It's got to be grown legally within the UK. So uh, mm -hmm. loads of stuff going on. Yeah. Did you say some of the some of your plants are thirty years old earlier? Yeah, some of our flower beds are over twenty, thirty years old, still producing good saleable stems. So um, someone just asked here. Um, Obviously, um, never ever call Stromere a cut flower in your lives again, because it isn't a cut flower. It's a hand-picked flower. You don't want yeah. to cut it. It's not what I call a one-hit wonder. It's not a seed or a bulb that you put in the ground. It grows next year. You've got to put another seed, another bulb in the ground. It's a rhizome, tuber, and root system. And you basically want to treat the roots like your carpet in your lounge at home. You want to hoover them up and keep them nice and tidy. So basically, if you've cut the stems, you're left with all these old cuttings. They rot, degrade, go back onto the root, and you're going to inhibit and stop further. So if you pick the stems, you're tidying up the root system and um, creating more more growth, happier roots, happier flowers. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I think there's going to be tons of people going away looking at the LSA, and but also just Oscar areas in particular, because I think there's just something... Um, you say they're, they're a standard, but it, it's quite a unique. You're certainly making it sound really interesting. I think it is, and I think there's going to be a lot of people going away and googling about more about Austrian areas, certainly. Yeah, well, I say in in the UK, it's just so sustainable to yeah. grow, and um, you know that's what Grandad really got involved in, and um, people did see it back in the 60s and 70s a bit um, exotic. So what yeah. they they closed the vents made it really humid stuffy really moist soil and of course all the roots just died in the soil but luckily for me my granddad really did get on with it my dad's really got on with it and my uncles and mum and aunties and everything and i've just taken all the details and always keep learning and yeah, uh, yeah I, I love to grow them <laughs> yeah you um, certainly know your stuff yeah yeah we have to now we're um we're getting heavily involved in biochar now so um yeah peat free anyway and we've been using organic compost uh, since i've been here uh, about 20 odd tons of organic compost that has to be shifted out of big builders bags within about a week at about christmas time onto the beds hand fed so that's a big job but um yeah just um, my friends at whitland flame we're just um introducing biochar uh, with ulstromere but ulstromere it likes kind of acidic soil so okay. we're trying to find that right balance we don't want to put too much biochar on um yep quite alkaline so but yeah. there was a little question um earlier on about uh, that said i wonder if you've seen a shift or change since your message has been broadcast on social media so so how long so you're doing the british flowers rock campaign but how long have you been kind of on social media talking about this um yeah so i did marine uh marine biology from 2000 to 2011 
sort of lived around the world and, and did some cool stuff and then got fed up of my parents, friends and people around the country that I obviously older flower growers that I knew sort of going out of business and selling up for caravan sites, red brick houses, roads, whatever. And um, yeah, I just got fed up and I obviously it's to do with sustainability and the environment. So I thought what better way to have a bit more control on my life rather than just being sent anywhere and everywhere mm. to do people's work for like BP and SO and Chevron and all that. Um, you know, for me, it was, um, I didn't want to happen. I didn't want it happen to me because it's my childhood. You know, I, mm. I've grown up here on the nursery and uh, the ranch and um, I didn't want to see it um, go like all the other flower nurseries. So yeah, from 2011 to 2014, I tried to get help from DEFRA, uh, from right. the NU, from local MPs. Um, but no one, I was just telling this story, to, or not the story, I was telling the reality to people, uh, you know, trying to get on Country Far, Radio 4 thing, even Solent, Portsmouth Solent Garden Time wouldn't have me. You know, no one was basically listening to the problem and want to do anything about it. So in 2014, I sort of gave up trying to get help and um, just did it myself. I yeah. was uh, living off site at the time and there was, uh, I was living in a village called Emsworth and I got fed up and tired of seeing Emsworth Flower Club, a talk on Bird of Paradise, a talk on all these exotic things. Yeah. Like don't they want a speaker to come in to talk about something real, about something they can change in the community and all this stuff. And um, they didn't want me, they didn't want me. Then a speaker let them down one week. Yeah. And I was sat on my couch and they just phoned me and said, Ben, you know, we're stuck. And I was like, yeah. So without any slides, nothing, I just stood up, did a talk like I'm doing to you in front of about 100 people. And then the next day, just the phone kept ringing for all these other garden clubs. And and then sort of wow. the game was sort of born, really, in 2014, just doing little little gigs, little talks, just spreading <laughs> over 90% imported and the chemicals used and the plastic, all this stuff. And... Um, and people are still booking me for 2023. So I'll, <laughs> Good. I'll just be banging on about it. And yeah, for our government supermarkets, they have to change. So, yeah. I think it's pretty incredible what you've talked about in terms of the sustainability that your granddad had. So talking about then and him being so conscious of sustainability then, that's pretty incredible for the time that he was that he was doing it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he was basically, uh, it was caused because of oil prices. So we used to heat the greenhouses using oil. It was like black water. It was 8p a litre. I mean, uh, I remember as, as a grom, as a kid here, uh, he would leave the vents and the doors of the greenhouse open of a cold morning and the heating on full whack to clear out the condensation <laughs> in, the, uh, in, in the greenhouse. And then as a teenager, you did get shouted at if you left the vents or the door open because oil prices were on the rise and they're about 88p a litre now. So um, Grandad had to find a crop he could grow at cooler temperatures and still get good production. Um, so that's why we stopped with the salad crops and other types of flowers. Uh, and Alstromere was a nice cool crop. And then obviously one thing led on to another. And um, yeah, we, we use obviously since 2013, we did, I did a two year um, project where we converted oil over to biomass. So we're mm. using sustainably sourced wooden pellets now. But um, yeah, it was sort of, um, say that alternative crop. And just he, yeah. he, one of the growers in the UK that got on with it, that I've been blessed and lucky enough to, to carry on. So I'm not a business person. <laughs> I'm, not a business person. I'm not even a social media thing. I don't have any training in anything. Um, 
So um, well, yeah. you, you're you're booking the trend of that then, because you whether whether you think you're a social media person or not, you you you're absolutely smashing it, and it seems yeah. to be working, doesn't it? Yeah, I just say what I see. It's like catchphrase, yeah. Mr. Chips, you know. It's <laughs> easy. Um, but yeah, so. Um, so what's the what's next for for British Flyers Rock then? Uh, what have I got? I've got so we do tours as well. So we do organised tours of the nursery. I've got a tour on Tuesday, mm. and got about twenty British Flyer Rock talks in October, uh, kicking off on Sunday. So next Sunday, I'm at Broadlands near Romsey, down the south here, giving a a British Flowers Rock Talk at a garden show there. And then, yeah, loads of other stuff booked up. Uh, more podcast stuff, I guess. But, yeah, just more people just keep booking me as a speaker, you know. So, cool. um, yeah. yeah. Well, anybody that's watching that, that is interested in either buying some or finding out more, then um, there's tons of information um, available. Like you say about the LSA, it's a really great place to start to kind of understand the history of it. So I think that is so crucial in the whole story of the story of the whole thing um, and understanding about that sustainability of your, of your granddad and just how you continued that on. It is incredible. And it's, I think it's not to be um, underestimated. I think it's, it's fantastic. It's not, not been an easy, you know, journey and doing that, doing that level of sustainability, you are clearly passionate about it, but it's not necessarily easy to, to do that and to be able to do that and, still be able to produce enough to be able to 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 sell and carry on and not just um kind of give in to the you know the temptation of well you've got to do it cheap or do you know what i mean that's incredible and that shows i don't it it, it makes it all the more special do you know what i mean yeah i mean we've come through world war Two. we've come through ash clouds we've come through pandemics we've in our history since 1930s we've come through horrible being treated horribly by supermarkets, horribly by wholesalers, even sometimes by florists. You know, it's um, yeah. it's a tough gig with lots and lots of customers, and sometimes them not understanding nature because we aren't a yeah. factory. Even even though we harvest lots of flowers, this is not a factory. You know, mm. it's all on nature. We're not forcing production. So a lot of flowers in a lot of other countries, you know, they they give it loads of artificial light. They pump cold water around the root systems in very hot countries where the villagers can't even have access to water just to get those roots cooler so they can get a bit more ounce and oomph out of the flowers. I mean, there's so many differences between what we're doing here and what they're doing in Ecuador, Cambodia, Colombia, Kenya, South Africa, where most of our flowers are pretty much coming from. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, um, but you know, we've got some solar panels for our electric, We've got biomass for our heating. Uh, all of our uh, packaging is reusable, recyclable. And little things like if we get a delivery of fertilizer or flower boxes and it comes in that wrap, we save all the packaging, we reuse that for my boxes. So if people watching now order some of my flowers and they come in a box from Ecuador, well, that's because the little things like my local wholesaler in Brighton, they chuck away hundreds of boxes from all over the world. And what do I do? I just said to them, look, guys, are you, what are you going to do with all these boxes from Ecuador and Cambodia? We just ditch them. So that's what I use for my public, little public boxes. I use all these little boxes that have come from all these other countries, you know. So, um, yeah. Is, so there, is there any, um, I'm, not that you're not doing enough, certainly, but are there any other step, more steps that you can take to, to become even more sustainable? Uh. Uh, we are looking at, um, at paper, but at the moment, the recyclable plastic sleeves, they're 0.00001p each. A uh, paper mm. sleeve is 23p. <laughs> but where's paper come from? Trees. Yeah. 
and a lot of forestry people would never biodegrade in our time so what we do do is uh, local people they have the raw product so people can come to the nursery and just have the flowers no packaging no plastics no flower food and when mm. i go and give my talks if there's 100 people 99 percent of those people uh, will take the flowers out of the sleeve and i'll go home with x hundreds of sleeves so that can be reused as well oh i've tried gardeners world i've tried country file i've tried everyone uh, since 20 really yeah, they, they just want happy stories. So, for example, um, I said to Hampton Court, Chelsea, look, I'll do my talk for free, but they'd rather pay Mary Berry 50 grand to do a talk. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's all, about, it's all about sponsorships. It's all yeah. about um, it, it, a lot of these things. It's people talking and not saying anything. Yeah. You know what I'm Absolutely. When not my mind has a message and it's quite impactful. Sometimes they don't really want that. They just want someone... Yeah famous you know so um... I yeah somebody uh, yeah you, my country cottage has said your story is happy i uh, i find that really um they basically they don't incredible um they don't yeah supermarkets sponsor these shows and things that's what it's about it's 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 corrupt it's it's not yeah right. i get it i get it i'm surprised that gardeners world wouldn't necessarily have because it with it being bbc there's obviously no advertising and there's there's a tremendous amount of kind of viewer stories and even if you had they had you as something like that that's that's mad because this is it is a happy story it's it's far from a negative thing there's lots of negatives that have kind of happened in the past that you've overcome but that itself is a positive story yeah. and you can you can easily talk about this without it being um too much about the sustainability it can just be the fact that you've grown these incredible plants and, and whatever but yeah it's it's even gardeners world wouldn't have you that's why i just keep on doing what i can do and then hopefully yeah. one day I'll meet someone who um, doesn't care about the politics and the PR, yeah. the red tape you have to go through to get these things, you know. Um, but I enjoy Good. what I do. And, um, Good. you know, I stay positive because I think that's how we've how we've come to this position where we're still surviving because a lot Good. of other flower growers, they're not around anymore. So we're, yeah. we're lucky that we're still uh, we're still going on, you know, so uh, very, very Even much. Even Monty points out how important sustainability is. So I know. I we know. need to start a campaign. We need to start our own campaign for British Flowers Rock to get you on garden as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start yeah. a petition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll keep on trying. We'll keep on yeah, going. But, um, we'll do it. Who we'll would have it. guessed, you know, sat on a couch in 2014 where a local village hall didn't even want me because I wasn't famous. And, uh, you know, people still still book me which is kind of that's the frustrating thing with my campaign is that mm -hmm. i've never been anywhere and gone oh that was he was the worst speaker we have that was rubbish they always go oh that's the best talk we've ever had that's amazing right. why aren't you on, yeah why aren't you on country and that's so frustrating for me because it proves that the general public and the true listeners the true rockers um they get it whereas everyone else it's got to go through all these emails all through these supervisors and advisors and all this i'm i'm not about that i'm just no the grower just trying to do the best i can i, I sleep for four hours out of 24 you know i'm, I'm busy uh, you need so, some more sleep then you need to get some more sleep bags yeah but um <laughs> I just yeah. even even the message about um, the fact of the packaging and everything and the imports and stuff. There's been quite a few comments tonight about people not realising um, the level of imports and, and understanding the packaging of it and uh, about that. Because obviously companies won't talk about that because they don't want you to know. Oh that. no, 
example, obviously we've had our Jamies, our Jimmies, our Hugh Fernleys. Uh, no longer can British bacon be called British bacon if it was Danish bacon packed in Britain. It will say Danish bacon packed in Britain. When you walk up and buy your cereals, you've got your red traffic light system. When you go and buy your fish, you're looking for that sustainable fish logo. Mm. When you buy eggs, you're looking for free range eggs. But when you go up to the flower stand, all it's got um, it's coming up to Halloween. So we're going to have Halloween bouquet, 10 quid. And there'll be plastic rods with plastic pumpkins in. There'll be loads of glitter and chemicals and all and loads of garbage on those bouquets. And people won't bat an eyelid. It won't say yeah. what chemicals are on the packaging, what chemicals are on the flowers, the amount of plastics you what's in the flower food. No wonder it's not pet friendly. You know, the good thing about my flowers is that they're they're pet friendly as well. A lot of people go, oh, they're, are they pet friendly? I'm, yeah, they're not sprayed in anything because that, that's why flowers aren't pet friendly half the time because they're just coated in loads of crap. So yeah. um, it's just those little things that all add up to a massive um, difference in carbon footprint. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you're able to spread this, this message and keep spreading it and that you're, you've got so many talks still booked and things. That's, that's amazing. And... I think if there's anything that anyone who's watching uh, can do to, to help support it, then we absolutely will. Because I, I think there's a, there's a real cause to get you on Gardener's World or something like that, I'm sure of it. And I just think that will go such a, an incredible way um, to spreading the message to an even, even larger audience. So we need to start some sort of petition because this, this doesn't seem right. No, it's, it's, it's not right. But, you know, I... I've come sort of a fair way since 2014, I guess. So, um, yeah, uh, it's not been all bad. And um, no, I say, I have changed. Like we, we obviously didn't supply direct to people uh, in 2011. And now we yeah. do over a hundred a week, direct to florists, cafes, restaurants, uh, the public. I've already got three or four um, boxes uh, ready for, you know, getting ready for next week where people can write in like happy birthday messages and send the flowers mm. off and all that. So it's just little things like that, that, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it makes it all worthwhile really. And people go, oh, Ben, they last two weeks. They came out bigger heads, more vibrant and all that. It's like, well, yeah, you got yeah. it. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that you'll, um, you'll finish this to a, to a crammed inbox of um, people ordering. <laughs> I'm, that's certainly going to be dropping you a DM straight after this to order some. I'll tell you that now. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, there's a few quick fire questions that I like to ask um, at the end of these sessions. Now, the f I don't know if you've watched any of the others. Um, I saw, I've, I've seen you join a couple of times on them, but I don't know if you've ever made it this far. The first Probably. question is has probably got an obvious answer um potentially and because the, the the way that i've done these before they've either been with um gardeners or allotmenteers in particular not necessarily um with someone that's involved with the nursery this might be a strange question but if you were to imagine your garden at home let's ignore the nursery just for a second you imagine your garden at home if you were to completely gut your garden and you were only allowed to fill it with one type of plant so you can have multiple varieties, but only one type of plant. <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> oh, well, my my mum is uh, is a legend around here. She she does the the you know the garden around the bungalow. So she'd be horrified if you got rid of the garden because <laughs> uh, I'm so busy on the on the flower nursery. That's yeah. my big baby. But um, the garden um, that was originally obviously my grandparents um, is is all my mum's work now. Um, mm, okay. Be pretty devastated. <laughs> one thing, 
Um, what, but, are your, what are your favourite plants outside of Osmeria? Oh, that's all I know. That's <laughs> Seriously, me and my dad with a plant problem, and they go, Ben, Dave, my dad, uh, what's wrong with this? This is looking like that. And we go, Mom. <laughs> she's, true, she's the true sort of plants lady. Yeah. Uh, she also used to be a florist as well. So um, I remember as a kid going to the market and all that. So I, when florists say, Ben, do you know how hard we work? I'm like, yeah, you work harder than growers because my mum was a florist. So I've got that insight. But um, mm. yeah, I mean, if it was my garden, I obviously have to have Ulstromeria. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Course. But, it's um, an obvious, an obvious one. My mum my mum does all the uh, thing. We've actually, um, obviously I grow the tomatoes in the greenhouse because we do a lot of biocontrol. So we don't use any pesticides or insecticides. So... Uh, we okay. grow uh, aubergines, cucumber, courgette, tomato plants, and they're basically uh, Venus fly traps for whitefly. So naturally, the whitefly are attracted off of the plants, the Ulstromere, onto the tomato plants, and we use Encarsia, the little mini wasps mm. that lay eggs inside whitefly eggs. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd have to grow, yeah, Ulstromere and some type of food, because I don't get any time to go food shopping. I grow all <laughs> my own food. So we'd have, to, we'd have to grow the tomatoes to keep... Um, yeah, keep the biocontrol going. So it's all about permaculture and growing cool. things along things, to, so um, it keeps the pests down. So, yeah. so that is a fascinating topic, and I think one for a, for another podcast in terms of um, like companion plants uh, and that kind of thing. That's so fascinating. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I, I'm not a big kind of fruit um, or veg grower. I just haven't got the got the space in the garden at home. But I grew some strawberries this year, and one of the first questions that I asked when I was growing them was what is a good companion plant for and almost unanimously everyone said marigold for, for similar reasons because it does attract away the the kind of the critters that are going to attack, yeah, attack the strawberries and yeah. that, that whole thing is is incredible and a lot of people saying that um, they grew sunflowers this year purposely next to dahlias to try and attract the slugs away from the dahlias and you know all of that is just it's just fascinating isn't it? Yeah well we, we do loads of biocontrol so if ever you've got a thing coming up on that so we yeah we're busy well into that and then uh cool. yeah by then i'll be able to do a whole podcast on biochar <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it that's a future episode okay so question two uh, again uh this might be a question for your mum you might have to go, go and run off and ask your mum but if you were to only use one tool in the garden you can you can apply that to the nursery if you want to but what would what tool would that be oh no it's my hori hori nawaki hori hori it um it enables me to cut to um to get those weeds out and when i'm planting or just potting up um it's 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 your number one tool if any of you need a tool it's the hori hori uh knife or a japanese trowel sorry i always yeah. correct myself it's yeah. a japanese trowel it's not trowel. Enough, japanese trowel so uh yeah that's my number one um number one thing although the radio radio oh screen, good i have, I good have answer uh in with me so again if i can take two i'm pushing these questions but i More have music and music and the trowel and the hori hori knife yeah i tell you if this was desert island discs you'd have been you'd have been chucked off the desert for these multiple choice answers <laughs> i'd love to go on desert island Discs. I'd yeah love i should have called this like desert island gardens or something i don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. um and question three uh this is the this is the last question if you would have one absolute top tip for a new gardener to do with Ulstrom areas or not, what would it be? Have fun. 
Hey. Have fun because, you know, I don't have a job. This is a lifestyle. And um, yeah, some days it's not all easy. Sometimes it's not easy. But because my days are so long, it can start out bad and end up good. Or it can start out good and get a bit rocky until the next. Yeah. But as long as, you know, you're having fun, dream big. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're my advice for, for anyone, really. Gardeners, non-gardeners or, or whatever. Just um, try and enjoy what you're doing because I'm lucky that I don't feel I have a job or an occupation. This is my life now. Um, and it's been my life. Well, I've never had a proper job because marine biology wasn't exactly uh, <laughs> nine to five. So I've no. always, I've always um, done something you know, I can help the planet, the earth, and um, stay sort of grounded and uh, and have fun and have a laugh. <laughs> Try yep. not to be so serious all the time. Um, yeah. It can be hard when you're dealing with supermarkets and, and things like that. It can, it can you know, you, you go the other way. But, you know, that's why I enjoy speaking to beautiful people like you. And, oh, you know, it's Because, it, you know, it's that's fun. what it's really about is, is connecting with good people and... Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, go, go fast, take chances, and you can't get hurt in the air. So there you go. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah. thank you very much for joining me. There's been tons of questions um, and lots of people watching. I'm hoping that um, if nothing else, you're going get, to get some orders um, and you'll get, be getting a DM from me in, in about <laughs> two minutes' time. Um, so thank you so much for joining me, Ben. It's been really interesting. There's been lots of, uh, lots of conversation, and I hope it, I hope it carries on and, and continues to do well for you. No worries. And I'll keep following your um, your channel and stuff as well. Love yeah. the content. So keep on going with it. Thank right, you, Ben. See you soon. Thank you, Bye. Bye, man. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to find out more about Ben's work on sustainability and to book him for a talk, then you can find him on Instagram at Alstromeria Ben. You can also find out more about Crossland's Flower Nursery on their Facebook page. Join me next week where I'll have another fantastic guest from the world of gardening. Follow me on Instagram at View from the Potting Bench to find out who that might be.